Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered for Super Wild Card Weekend. Giants versus Vikings, Dolphins versus Bills, Justin Herbert versus Trevor Lawrence, Dak Prescott versus Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson versus Joe Burrow in an AFC North showdown. You can use our promo code BLEAVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live on the believe podcast network Except it isn't live, because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. It is a fan-flippin'-tabulous January 13th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening it's a Friday. It's the day before wildcard weekend. I usually try not to do analysis that will age poorly. In this case, we're going to do analysis that just might age poorly because we are going to talk about wildcard football coming up this weekend. We're going to talk about gambling trends and we're going to talk about all sorts of interesting stuff. But because I've been doing this long enough to recognize making predictions is incredibly stupid, we are going to do some macro level conversation in addition to looking at Vegas gambling odds and what the trends are saying will go down on Saturday, Sunday, and potentially Monday. Not really getting a good read on Cowboys and Buccaneers, but we'll get through some of these wild card games. We'll get set for everything happening this weekend. So there's one game in particular that has really, really caught my attention, and it was not the game that I thought would catch my attention. So we're going to talk about that a bunch. But first off, there's six games this weekend. Every year, I make it a mission that I'm going to pick one game, sometimes two, but usually one game that I designate as my not going to watch game because it's too much football. When it was four playoff games back in 2020, it was too much football. Or sorry, 2019. And then you got to the pandemic season. And even though I was having a super, super unhealthy relationship with football, just like going all in on watching 11 hours of football every Sunday, and it was not good for my well-being. Even so, I still recognize that wildcard weekend is just too much football. You can't watch 18 hours of football within a 30-hour time frame. It's just not possible for the body to watch that much football. So you got to pick one game that you sacrifice, one game that either the game itself will go out of your mind or the game itself will be just it, it existed for 
history to recall, but you didn't watch it. And for me, last year, there were two of those games that I was complaining about. You heard me complain about it all Wild Card Weekend, which was Pittsburgh playing against Kansas City because Pittsburgh was clearly not good enough to be in the playoffs and then got there and got outgained in the first three quarters, 340 to 49 in yards of offense by Kansas City, who was, of course, the best team in the NFL, who then threw up on themselves and lost to, to the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. But anyways, so Pittsburgh and Kansas City was that game last year, and then I quit in the middle of Philadelphia and Tampa Bay because that final score was 30-0. to zero. But my designated game for taking a break from football was... My, my previously scheduled take-a-break-from-football game was Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Designated that game as the one that I wasn't going to watch. So this year, the game that I have designated as the one to not watch, and I'm reserving the right to change my mind on this one, the one I'm designating first, Baltimore and Cincinnati. Baltimore and Cincinnati is the game that I'm designating not to watch because it seems very, very likely that Lamar Jackson is not going to play on Saturday for the Baltimore Ravens. Now again, or sorry, on Sunday for the Baltimore Ravens. Now again, reserve the right to change my mind in the event that Lamar Jackson becomes healthy enough to play. If that's the case, we're going to go with Skylar Thompson against the Buffalo Bills. But the reason I might actually watch that game is, number one, it's at 10 a.m. on Sunday, and 10 a.m. on Sunday is prime football watching time. So even though the Miami Dolphins are going to get smoked, and even though the Bills are 14-point favorites against the Miami Dolphins, I will probably still watch a little bit of that Dolphins and Bills game. I'll kind of be in the background watching it, and I'll probably only have like 10 minutes of thoughts to record on our post-game shows. By the way, we're just going to have a running tab of post-game shows from the wildcard weekend. Even though Buffalo is going to win that football game, and even though it's going to happen probably pretty, like, in pretty resounding fashion, kind of like the game's over by halftime, I do kind of want to watch it because, one, Buffalo's offense is super, super fun, and the point that I said before, which is, it's prime football watching window. 10 a.m. on a Sunday is prime football watching window. Last year, they gave us the Packer or sorry the Eagles and Bucks game in prime football watching window I still watch the first part of that game just because 10 a.m. on a Sunday is when I'm already used to watching football so again my reserving the decision to skip Ravens and Bengals that is the game that I am planning to skip on wildcard weekend because Lamar Jackson is not going to play which sucks because I was so excited for Baltimore all season I was so excited for this potential matchup and for week 18 to be about seeding and home field advantage for this game and yeah if Lamar Jackson doesn't play the Ravens don't have a puncher's chance against the Bengals so uh, if Lamar is out which it's looking like it's going to be that's the game I'll designate because the Bengals are going to beat the shit out of the Ravens and it won't be fun as compared to the Bills beating the shit out of the Dolphins which is actually going to be kind of fun to watch so that's where I'm sitting in those games Uh, now that we have talked about that let us pivot to the game that I really really wanted to talk about going into the weekend and to do that we are going to play our theme song for this quarterback and this team that uh, for those who don't know the story 
Uh, back on Groundhog Day, Super Bowl week last year, when we thought that Jimmy Garoppolo was going to get traded from the San Francisco 49ers, we made a parody song. It took like two and a half hours to make, and it's two minutes and 30 seconds long. But we made a parody song. It's set to the Groundhog Day theme from the movie Groundhog Day, and it's really fun. And we've gotten to use it like 20 to 25 more times than I ever thought I would get to use it because... The 49ers tried to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo two years ago, and somehow Jimmy Garoppolo is still there. It's it's kind of like they tried to clean the mold out of the house, and it just kept coming back again and again. Um, but yeah, anyways, so this is our Jimmy Garoppolo theme song. Garoppolo drops back to throw you're gonna lose the game the seasons come and seasons go the Niners need a change if you don't throw check downs you're gonna take a sack Jimmy G is warming up yeah he's your quarterback No, don't throw it. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart, and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback. Alrighty, so for those who don't know, I have a college degree in economics, and while most of you have been listening to this podcast, I was working through a college degree in economics, and since we're now 15 years removed from the financial crisis, uh, remember the, the housing market ended up, the housing bubble popped, and then the market collapsed, and then the government had to bail out all of the banks, which ended up leading to gigantic uh, spending bills that ended up being footed by the American people. Uh, only, I believe, about four or five people ended up going to jail as a result of these practices. And George Bush, it ends up being George Bush's legacy at the end of a very tumultuous and wild presidency. And so because it's now 15 years ago, and when I was going to college, it was 13 years ago, uh, that is the 
like financial event that now gets used for teaching a lot of economic theory. And so one of the basic economic theories that gets taught in multiple, you know, classes and multiple uh, textbooks or whatever you want to point to, lectures, whatever you envision college being, one of the lectures that ends up getting taught a lot about is uh, one, one example that they use the housing bubble for is to talk about what bubbles are and why they're unsustainable. And this was super helpful um, with the crypto crash that came up last year. Uh, same lessons can be applied from both, which is this idea that something that is in a bubble is being inflated in value despite the fact that there's no evidence that points to it being worth that much. So when people were... Um, when people during the housing crisis were taking mortgage-backed securities and then flipping them from banks to loan to people who are loaning, and then the banks were defaulting, the, the banks were paying money for these mortgage-backed securities, and then once people started defaulting on their housing loans, because it was easy for people to get into homes, sometimes even two, three, four, if you've ever seen the scene from The Big Short where... The um, Steve Carell goes to the strip club and the woman at the strip club is explaining that she has like three mortgages and he's like, there's no way she could possibly afford three mortgages at the rates that the uni- that that, you know, it costs to own property in Florida. Basically, the the value of the houses was put way higher than they were actually worth and that's what's called a bubble so like when you're spending more money on when something is producing results way above expe- expectations eventually that's that's what's called a bubble so in the in the case of crypto like crypto being wor- a bitcoin being worth $60,000 and bitcoin being this gigantic economy didn't make sense relative to what people were receiving on it. It was basically a stock that that essentially was being inflated in value because people determined that it had value. And then when people stopped determining it had value, you see this crypto crash where uh, crypto pretty consistently is worth, uh, if you want to point to Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever you want to go to, like is basically worth about 70%, or sorry, worth about 30% of what it was worth at its peak during the pandemic. And the reason that bubble was created is because people weren't spending money during the pandemic. And as a result of that, you were seeing, as a result of people not having anything to do with their money, they started putting it into crypto. And then as soon as the economy started opening up, vaccinations became widely available. You saw people pull their money out of crypto and you see the collapse of this market, this bubble after a year. So it's a crypto bubble. It was a, a dot-com bubble. It was a housing bubble because these things had inflated value relative to what they were actually worth. Why I talked about this for five minutes is because one, it's a nice little economics lesson. And two, this brings me to what I wanted to talk about with the San Francisco 49ers, which is these statistics from CBS Sports Radio or CBS Sports Twitter account and CBS Sports Radio. Since Brock Purdy's first start in week 14, taking over for Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers have a 5-0 and record, which as you heard in the Jimmy Garoppolo song, They say he's smart and he wins games. Those two things don't mean a thing. Smart is what people use to connotate white quarterbacks who who don't have specific athletic skills, and wins are used to justify usually white quarterbacks' abilities, despite the fact that wins are not a quarterback stat. Just 
we know it to be the case right now. Mitchell Trubisky had a better winning percentage than Justin Fields as Chicago Bears quarterback. Anyone going to debate that Justin Fields is a worse quarterback than Mitchell Trubisky? It's a simple way to put it. Mina Kimes puts it in the profile of her Twitter for years. Wins are not a quarterback stat. Okay, cool. I'm like, I can write that off. We're doing the white savior thing that we do with Tom Brady and Nick Foles and white quarterbacks who win games. We did it with Jimmy Garoppolo. Team points per game, 33.6. First in the NFL since Brock Purdy took over. I'm like... That is surprising. I did not expect that. But also, the 49ers have six pro bowlers on offense and three all-pro players. Christian McCaffrey, all-pro. Trent Williams, all-pro. Best left tackle in the NFL. George Kittle, third-best tight end in the NFL, if not second-best tight end in the NFL. Debo Samuel, pro bowl receiver. Brandon Ayuk has a chance of making a pro bowl. He put up 1,000 yards this year. And Kyle Juszczyk, pro bowl fullback. You know, they have six Pro Bowlers on offense. Uh, Then we go to pass touchdowns. 11 tied for first in the NFL. Okay, interesting. Did not expect that. Yards per attempt, 8.9 first in the NFL. I was like, wow, that's actually indicative of great quarterback play. And then you get to passer rating, 119.0 first in the NFL. So I did not realize that Brock Purdy was putting up MVP level numbers <laughs> through the five games that he played. I know we made the joke that Brock Purdy is Nick Foles syndrome, but I did not realize that Brock Purdy was literally putting up better than 2017 Nick Foles production since taking over for the 49ers at about the same time that Nick Foles took over for the Philadelphia Eagles, which was Carson Wentz tearing his ACL, I believe in week 15 or week 14 of a 17 game season. So I think Nick Foles got like three or four postseason starts before, or three or four regular season starts before the playoff run in 2017 that we talked about on Wednesday with Ryan Nanny. Go Birds. So Brock Purdy is Nick Foles at this point. And I'm talking about 2017 Nick Foles, which Nick Foles. When playing on the Philadelphia Eagles, who had the greatest offensive line ever assembled, they had three all-pro offensive linemen that year in Lane Johnson, Jason Peters, and Jason Kelsey. And Brandon Brooks, I believe, was playing on that team. I don't remember if he was healthy or not, but Brandon Brooks, also a really, really good guard. And you had Nelson Aguilar, Alshon Jeffrey, and that stable of running backs. Remember, that was the year they had LeGarrette Blunt and Corey Clement, who was balling out. Because again, the offensive line was so amazing, so these running backs who were interchangeable were all incredible as well for Philadelphia. And Nick Foles had the game of his life, through or the playoff run of his life, behind the best team in the NFL. The, I would make the argument the 49ers have similar talent on this year's team, and as a result is creating a Brock Purdy bubble which is the same thing as a Jimmy Garoppolo bubble, which is, you know, you can point to whatever. But the 49ers didn't drink the Kool-Aid when it came to Jimmy Garoppolo. Certainly there are some 49ers fans who believed he could maybe be a top 10 quarterback under the best of circumstances, but they all kind of recognize, like, at, at a, deep down you kind of recognize, hey, 
this is because we have all of these talented skill position players and because we have this incredible defense that just farts out pro bowlers and gives away DeForest Buckner and it doesn't matter. They still have the number one defense in the NFL because it's just ridiculous how much talent the 49ers are able to find and develop. And so the reason I brought up bubbles is because what you have created is a bit of a Brock Purdy bubble, which is the regression is going to come at some point. It happened for Nick Foles at the end in Philadelphia. Now, they were still winning these games, but if you look at the 2018 season when Carson Wentz uh, suffers the concussion and Foles has to take over, I can't remember if that was the concussion year or the, uh, the rib injury year, but the point being, Carson Wentz goes out the last three games of 2018, Nick Foles takes over, as the quarterback, they win the last three games, they get the sixth seed, they win the double doink game, and then the fifth game they get smoked by the Saints. Despite the fact they were up 14-0 at one point in that game, they get smoked by the Saints, and it ends with Alshon Jeffrey coughing up the football, and Nick Foles looking terrible as soon as two offensive linemen got hurt. Nick Foles goes back to looking like Nick Foles, and the Saints just totally outclass the Eagles in a playoff game where they were basically starting with a 14-point hole. But if you go back to those last Nick Foles games in the regular season and the Chicago game, the regression was there. The Eagles won all four games and then lost the fifth one. So it felt like, oh, this is Nick Foles' big dick Nick doing it again situation. And it wasn't that the second year. And then Remember, after 2018, he goes and signs with the Jaguars, gets hurt the first game of the season, Gardner Minshew takes over, never gets a chance to play there, and then gets traded to the Bears, and then goes to the Colts, and like clearly is back to being Nick Foles, who was contemplating retirement before signing with Kansas City the year before he ends up in Philadelphia. And so, Brock Purdy feels like he's in the same vein as Nick Foles, which is that a bubble has been created around Brock Purdy, except this time the 49ers fans are drinking the Kool-Aid. And I understand why you would drink the Kool-Aid when you have first in record, first in points per game, tied for first in passing touchdowns, first in yards per attempt, and number one in the league in passer rating over the five games that Brock Purdy has played. I find it incredible. So basically, I find it incredibly. If you're presenting two options, and option one is that everybody was incorrect about Brock Purdy in the NFL draft, he fell to Mr. Irrelevant, and as a result, and even the 49ers were incorrect about the abilities of Brock Purdy to start the season. Because remember, they drafted Brock Purdy and kept Jimmy Garoppolo. They they had Garoppolo on roster in April. When they drafted Brock Purdy, they then decided in August to guarantee $9 million of Jimmy Garoppolo's contract and then opted to choose Garoppolo as the backup over Brock Purdy. And even though Garoppolo put up sixth best quarterback rating, very good numbers, I think it was what, like 16 touchdowns to three interceptions before he got hurt. Even so, they were like Brock Purdy was better than Jimmy Garoppolo as the backup quarterback, and the 49ers were incorrect about Brock Purdy being better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Or the more likely scenario in my mind, which is the 49ers are doing the 2017 Eagles thing of they have the best roster in the NFL. And the reason I believe this to be the case is because last year in July and in May, I was saying that if Trey Lance puts up rookie Baker Mayfield numbers, which is 28 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 
which again, like I didn't anticipate the offensive decline in the NFL happening, but say it was 18 touchdowns, nine interceptions. In my mind, that would be good enough for the 49ers to win with the amount of talent they have on the team because they were already the the fourth best team in the NFC last year. And then they beat the Packers and Tampa lost to the Rams and the 49ers almost beat the Rams and the Rams went on to win the Super Bowl. Rams fell off because of health and other factors. Packers fell off. Bucks fell off. 49ers best team in the NFC. As long And I've seen Kyle Shanahan win not one, but two playoff games in which Jimmy Garoppolo did not throw a pass for two hours of real time. It happened in the Packers game in 2019, and it happened in the Packers game in 2021. Multiple times, the 49ers have won playoff games because of scheme and because of talent around a quarterback. And so I believe that the more probable circumstance is, yeah, the 49ers have a shit ton of talent, and therefore San Francisco is going to win these games regardless of who comes in at quarterback. And in addition, the plug-and-play quarterback is going to have incredibly high statistical numbers. Whether it's Garoppolo, whether it's Purdy is besides the point. Both of them outperformed expectations. And we never got to see Trey Lance play because he fractured his ankle in the second game of the season, never got a chance to actually play in the system. And so what's interesting about that is Brock Purdy, and by the way, the one game Trey Lance played was that slop rain game in Chicago. So he played three quarters of football this season for the San Francisco 49ers. Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo both outperformed what we would expect Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo to be, which is Purdy, since taking over, is the best quarterback in the NFL statistically, and Jimmy Garoppolo, in since taking over for Trey Lance, was a top 10 statistical quarterback in the NFL. Again, he was sixth in passer rating. Uh, I, I didn't see other statistics beyond that, but, you know, point being, we knew Gar- like 16 touchdowns, three interceptions when Garoppolo was playing. That's a 5.3 to 1 touchdown interception ratio, which I guarantee you is one of the five best. And it's better than Mahomes and Jalen Hurts, who were the MVP finalists. So I assume it's one of the, if not the best, touchdown to interception ratio in the NFL. Like Garoppolo is playing at a top 10 quarterback level and Brock Purdy is playing at best quarterback in the league since taking over. That is what I would constitute as a bubble. Because when does the bubble, like when we're talking about football players, when does the bubble burst? With the Eagles, it burst in 2018 when they had worse injury luck coming off of the Super Bowl and players like um, Aguilar departing and uh, LeGarrette Blunt going into retirement. Like you saw the bubble burst at the end of 2018. And the Eagles still went 4-1 and one in those games. It was just, they won on a double doink against the Bears. They won a last game of the season by four points. Like, the, the offense was averaging like 10 fewer points than the first Nick Foles run when they went 7-0 and and won the Super Bowl. Like, you saw the, the evidence, and then it all fell apart the last game in New Orleans when they got a 14-0 lead, two offensive linemen got hurt, and Nick Foles played like shit. And then he goes to the Jaguars and never gets to start again in his NFL career. So, yeah, we saw the bubble burst right in front of our eyes. And 
the 49ers will see the bubble burst eventually because it's just impossible for them to keep sustaining the talent for the time they have. The good news for San Francisco, and this is the thing that I've been saying for the past few months is, don't worry about next year. Don't worry about 2024. Just don't even think about it because if you're rooting for the San Francisco 49ers and if you cover the San Francisco 49ers, the bubble might not burst until you win a bullshit championship or you make a bullshit run to the Super Bowl or you make a bullshit run to the NFC Championship with Brock Purdy playing like Nick Foles. Like, the Eagles got a Super Bowl out of it. Don't worry about when the bubble bursts because the Eagles ultimately got a Super Bowl out of Nick Foles. Don't worry about when the bubble's going to burst. You have as much talent on your team as the 2017 Eagles that won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. You can win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. The bubble might not burst before you get a chance to win the Super Bowl. And if you do that, who cares? Because the bubble is going to burst eventually. It's going to happen, and that's fine. The reason I bring this up is because I was doing research for these wildcard games and looking at the Vegas trends and the Vegas odds, and the one that jumped off the page to me was 49ers favored by 9.5, and And this is one day before the game, mind you. This is Thursday night, so this is 36 hours before the game is going to be played. 49ers are getting 70% of the bets on the spread, and the line has moved from 10.5 down to 9.5 or 9 in some cases. And still, even as the line is moving down, the 49ers are still getting 70% of the bets against the spread. I said money line earlier, I meant against the spread. Which I thought was fascinating, because not only does that mean Vegas is betting on the Seahawks to cover, because remember, for the spread, the goal of Vegas is to get 50-50 on both sides, because if they get 50-50 on both sides, they will win either way on the spread. What's interesting to me is once I I see a number that hits that 70% threshold on spread, it means that Vegas has a good hunch that this thing is going to come true. And I thought that's really interesting that Vegas thinks that Seattle is going to be able to keep it close against San Francisco. And then I went down to the money line bets. And this is courtesy of our friends at Bet Online Sportsbook and various other sports books that I checked after the fact. With the 49ers favored by minus 500 and the Seahawks uh, underdogs at plus 400, that means. And this is a conversion rate courtesy of boydsbets.com. That means that Vegas, to break even, would need 83% of the bets, somewhere between 80 to 83% of the bets on the 49ers. And for Seattle at plus 400, around 20% to be getting equal value on both sides. Because again, to, to win on the 49ers, you would have to bet... Uh, $500 to win $100, or you'd have to bet $50 to win $10. But if you bet on Seattle to win outright, uh, and you bet the same $500, you would make uh, $2,000. Or if you bet the same $50, you would make $200. Which means for Vegas to get equal value on both sides, they would need San Francisco to be between 80 to 83%, and they would need Seattle to be between 17 and 20% on the money line 
in order to break even. So you would expect that if Vegas is trying to get 50-50 on both sides, that it would be about 80% San Francisco, 20% Seattle, give or take two percentage points. 36 hours before the game, it's 96% of bets on by the public are on San Francisco. 96% of bets are on San Francisco, which means either there's a significant injury that they're preparing for an announcement for. That's why 97% of the bets are on the Bengals right now, because Vegas is preparing to dramatically shift the line in the event that Baltimore has Lamar Jackson available. Or the house is saying, we will win a bunch of money if this result happens, which in this case is Seattle winning. We will win a bunch of money because the public is going to lose. And as a result, we'll get to take their money while paying out only small amounts to the people who picked the Seahawks to win plus 400. So if they're taking 96% of the bets on San Francisco, and this is mostly public bets, because remember, we've talked with Razor Rosenthal and um, uh, other... uh, (laughs) Brandon Lang has come on the show before. We've talked about this with gambling experts before on the show, like Razor and Brandon Lang, which is public bets early in the week, sharps don't bet until right before the game starts. And I bet you that sharps are going to start taking Seattle... Once they see the money, I consulted with my brother on this and he does, he's much deeper in the gambling space than I am. And he's like, yeah, the, the trends are telling you pick Seattle to win outright. Cause that's what the house is going with. The house is saying Seattle is going to win outright, not just cover the spread, which they're also saying they'll cover the spread. They go as far as to say Vegas is betting a large sum of money, uh, the biggest sum on the weekend, because the other trends are like, we don't know what to do with Baltimore and Cincinnati yet because of the injury situation. Dallas and Tampa, relatively stable, but the game's not until Monday. Buffalo and Miami, relatively stable, although they've moved the, they've jacked the lineup to 14 because they, they know Miami's going to lose, but they don't think they're going to lose by 14. So Vegas is preparing for like, hey, if you want to keep betting Buffalo, we're going to cut you off at about 14 points. And... Chargers and Jaguars is relatively stable, which we'll talk about that in a second. Um, Giants and Vikings is basically they're taking 50-50 on both sides at minus three for the Vikings and the Vikings being minus 160 and the Giants being plus 140. So they, they basically like, we think the Vikings will win by three is exactly what Vegas is saying. Like, yep, that's probably what's gonna happen. So they're saying that the sports books across the board are saying we can win money by Seattle. By Seattle winning that game outright and not just covering the nine or 10 point spread, winning the game outright against San Francisco. And as I was doing more research on this game, I started to think, because it's going to rain in San Francisco a little bit. Not sure if it's going to rain at game time tomorrow, but there's going to be rain in Northern California. I'm here right now. Trust me, it's going to start raining in Sacramento, which is two hours away from San Francisco. It's going to start raining at 10 a.m. tomorrow, which means it's probably going to start raining a little bit earlier in San Francisco. So you've got rain, you've got about 50-50 betting between the over and under of 42. Vegas is saying that Seattle is good value to win this game. And the thing that put it over the edge for me as I was thinking about this is the Brock Purdy bubble. 
and the San Francisco 49ers bubble. Because the reason that this exists and the reason that I've been saying, like, if the Niners win, like, under two and a half playoff games this year, it's going to go down as a disappointment. San Francisco finds themselves in a position where if they lose this game, I suspect the Brock Purdy bubble is going to burst. And when I say the Brock Purdy bubble is going to burst, the San Francisco 49ers have not lost a game since Christian McCaffrey got to the team. Clearly, that is an unsustainable path for the entire season. They are incredibly, they have the number one offense and number one defense over the past month of the season. Clearly, with Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo being interchanged as your quarterbacks, they're not the reason why that's the case. It is the depth of talent across the board on the offense and the defense for San Francisco. And as we and the Eagles of 2017 and 2018 are the best example for what this is going to happen. When you take away just two of the 12 pieces or you take away four of the 12 pieces, you become vulnerable with a Nick Foles as your quarterback, with a Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback, and with a Brock Purdy as your quarterback. We've been seeing it for years with San Francisco. San Francisco should have lost that playoff game to the Packers last year. It was cold, it was snowing, and the only points they scored in the entire game until the last few minutes came on a blocked field goal and a blocked punt for touchdown. It was 13-10, to and they blocked a field goal by the Packers, and they blocked a punt for a touchdown in, like on the play. They didn't even have to run an offensive snap. They blocked the punt and recovered it in the end zone. It was the only touchdown the Niners scored the entire game. That Niners team last year was not better than last year's Packers team on paper, and they bullshitted their way to the NFC Championship, and they almost bullshitted their way to the Super Bowl by beating a Rams team that was the third best team in the NFC and slightly better than San Francisco. And so what's super fascinating this year is they are a very similar team on paper. They've added Christian McCaffrey. Brandon Ayuk has taken the next step. They've gotten bad luck health-wise, and yet it hasn't mattered when you slide in Al Shair and he's all of a sudden a pro bowler for San Francisco, and that wasn't a piece they had last year. What's super interesting about that is when the Eagles got to 2018, the pieces we removed were injury to Peters in the playoff game, injury to Kelsey in the playoff game, Chris Long retiring off the edge and LeGarrette Blunt leaving. So once the offensive line disappeared, the stable of running backs didn't look quite as skilled. When you took away just a couple of pieces, all of a sudden the whole thing started to fall apart a little bit. And the little cracks were there. They were still winning games. They won on a double doink against the Bears. They were still able to pull out some victories. But that Eagles team in 2018 was nothing compared to the Eagles team of 2020 of 2017. And the 49ers, it might happen next year. It might happen right now. But the bubble is there. The bubble is going to burst at some point. It burst in 2020 coming off the 2019 season for the Niners. They retooled. They got to an NFC championship last year, and this year the bubble has led to Garoppolo playing like a top 10 quarterback and Brock Purdy putting up number one in most offensive categories since taking over as quarterback. Which, by the way, not crazy to say Brock Purdy's better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo right now. Not crazy to say that at all. Brock Purdy versus Trey Lance, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out later. 
And one of the ways that it's going to get figured out is if the 49ers lose that playoff game to Seattle, because that's going to be a brutal disappointment. A brutal, brutal disappointment if that's how that one's going to end up. And if it goes into the rain, what's going to be the great equalizer on that? Turnovers, which San Francisco is better than Seattle at. And then you go to passing yards per game and rushing yards per game allowed. Seattle's kind of middle of the pack in both. San Francisco's best game is stopping the run. So that should lean in favor of San Francisco. But at the end of the day, San Francisco is kind of a team that's recently been built on offense. During the middle of the season, they were built on defense. Now they're being built on offense when Purdy is putting up first in every statistical category offensively. Is that going to be the great equalizer? Is the, the sloppiness of that game? It's kind of interesting to think about. And if... If San Francisco does win this game, because I think even if Vegas trends point in that direction, there's still a chance that they bullshit at the, at the end or you have uh, the same situation that happened last Saturday where uh, Josh Dobbs fumbles the ball and it gets scooped by Josh Allen. We're like, if Josh Dobbs only fumbles and it gets recovered by the Jaguars, that game's still going to overtime. And if Josh Dobbs only has an incomplete pass instead of a fumble... The Titans are in the playoffs right now. So, like, only if something totally catastrophic happens does the house lose and the public win. But when we're talking about a giant point spread like this and a game that's hanging around 42 points, they're saying Seattle is much, much closer than we think to winning this football game. And that is really interesting to think about given how the 49ers are built on this bubble. And the, I, I mean, like, if the Vikings had beaten the 49ers, it would have been a disappointment, certainly. The Vikings have done bullshit like that all season. If Seattle, I mean, if the Eagles beat San Francisco, Eagles might be favored at home against San Francisco in the playoffs because they have a really, really good defense. If Seattle beats San Francisco in this game, I think you're going to see the, the Brock Purdy optimism dissipate. Because the reason San Francisco is going to lose that game is going to be the bubble bursting. And when the bubble bursts, is Brock Purdy going to start looking like the guy that just two months ago, San Francisco said, was worse than Jimmy Garoppolo? And said consistently for seven months, this guy is worse than Jimmy Garoppolo. And the entire league decided was not worth a draft pick until literally Mr. Irrelevant. I'm going to suspect that Brock Purdy is closer to a more traditional seventh round quarterback, which means this thing could go bad or at least go not best in the league in every statistical category sometime during this playoff run. And if they do manage to bullshit their way to a playoff game, it, like if they lose to Kansas City, say, it'll probably be because Kansas City just put up a better offensive performance than them. Just like, no shame. I don't think it's going to be a loss where we're like, oh, look at this from Brock Purdy. I, I think if San Francisco is going to lose this game or one of the next two games, I think it's going to be because the bubble burst. That seems like the most probable outcome. And the way the bubble is going to burst is not because Brock Purdy is going to throw it all away and everyone else is going to be... Like, they've built a team that's so good that Brock Purdy could start fucking it up and they would still be okay. Jimmy Garoppolo started fucking it up in the playoffs, and you know what they did? They just took his throwing privileges away. 
They just took away his throwing privileges, and it got him to a Super Bowl, and it got him to an NFC Championship game. It's the most remarkable thing that's happened since the Legion of Boom Seahawks. They, they, they just literally are like, you are not allowed to fuck this up for us, and we're still going to be able to win. So, like, I don't even think Purdy is capable, at the, with the 49ers playing at their best, I don't even think Purdy is capable of fucking it up. Because, like, Shanahan's won multiple playoff games where a quarterback didn't throw a pass for two hours of real time. It's, it's happened twice in two different years. So I don't think Purdy is even capable of fucking it up. I think where this is going to be the bubble bursting is the other guys not playing at the all-worldly level that has allowed them to turn Garoppolo and Purdy into top 10 and top 4 quarterbacks while also winning 8 consecutive or 9 consecutive games. I think that's kind of where the bubble sits right now. And we've seen a number of cases where the bubble bursts. And Vegas is telling you the bubble might burst this weekend. Or at least they're they're betting some of their gigantic casinos and sportsbook values on the bubble just might burst this weekend. People with more expertise than us are saying that people are too optimistic on the 49ers. And I think that's really, really interesting to watch going into this weekend. So it's the first game, and it's the game that I'm most interested in watching going into the wildcard weekend for all of those reasons. And I think once we get to the postgame show, even if San Francisco ends up winning, I think it's going to be like by the skin of their teeth. And I'm taking the expertises of people that know more than me, the information we know about the 49ers and the history of the NFL and just bubbles in general. And I think it's really, really interesting to watch. And it's the game that I'm most excited to partake in this weekend. Chargers, you guys have an incredibly, incredibly exciting opportunity this weekend because for the first, uh, we'll call it 12 weeks of the NFL season, pretty clear how the AFC playoff was going to break down, which was Kansas City, Buffalo, and Baltimore are going to make it to the second round of the playoffs, which means everyone else, whether it was the Raiders, the Broncos, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Jets, the Jaguars, the Titans, the Chargers, everyone else was fighting for one spot in the second round. 
This is the playoff spot that two years ago was occupied by Baker Mayfield. And this was the Chad Henney playoff game, if you remember, where Mahomes gets hurt and they almost throw it away. And then Chad Henney gets them through to the AFC Championship game where they ultimately throttle Buffalo. And last year was the same case, but then obviously Lamar Jackson got hurt and Cincinnati filled the void vacated by Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And last year, the thing that got me so enraged was that the Titans got the number one seed, and so the Titans were guaranteed to be the team that gets the fourth spot in the second round of the playoffs. And this year, it was the same three teams. It's the same three teams that it's been for the last three seasons. Kansas City, Buffalo, Baltimore. Three best teams in the AFC, bar none. Baltimore fell off this year. Lamar Jackson got hurt again. Around week 13, because Lamar got hurt, Baltimore fell off because that team is so contingent on Lamar, and Cincinnati again fills the spot vacated by Baltimore. So Cincinnati, congratulations. I guess we should call you the third team now because it's been Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati for the past two seasons. For the past three years, it's been Kansas City, Buffalo, and Baltimore. We'll call them Lamar Jackson. It's been Kansas City, Buffalo, and Lamar Jackson have been the three best teams in the AFC. And this year, it is the same, that Cincinnati is going to beat Baltimore and get the third spot, Buffalo and Kansas City. Got it. Who's the fourth team this year whose season, who are, who are fighting for incredibly small margins? Because I don't see any reason why Buffalo and Kansas City won't be back in the same position of making at least the second round of the playoff next year. I don't see why there's any reason that Cincinnati can't keep up making it to the second round of the playoff. So if you're fighting for incredibly small margins, and this is the reason why I say that like if the I thought this year was going to be the Dolphins, this is why I'm saying the Dolphins, it would have been a massive, massive success if they were the one team. If they traded after everything that happened, if they traded for Tariq Hill, they signed Teron Armstead, they trade for Bradley Chubb, they make all those improvements, and Tua looks at least like a competent quarterback, I thought they were going to be the fourth team. And when I saw them be the fourth team, I was like, oh, that's incredible because they haven't won a playoff game in 20 years. Baker Mayfield led that team to their first playoff win in 20 years. Tennessee got that spot and, you know, they kind of ruined the fun for uh, maybe the Raiders who are trying to get their first playoff win. But guess who that team is going to be this year? Either the Chargers or... Or the Jaguars. And by the way, the Chargers are the favorites going into that game. But the Jaguars are only here because someone had to make it from the AFC. And I know the Jag- the AFC South. And I know the Jaguars are 6-1 and one in their last seven games. Look, they were getting beat. They were getting that ass beat by a Titans team that did not deserve it. We hashed through that on Wednesday with Ryan Nanny. They were getting that ass beat by a team that did not belong in the playoffs. So now the Chargers are taking on the Jaguars. The Chargers are two and a half point favorites, and the line is pretty stable. It's Chargers minus 145, Jaguars plus 125, about 58% of the bets on the Chargers, 42 on the Jaguars. Vegas is saying, yeah, it's going to be about a, a, a one score game, toss up at the end. That's the most probable outcome for this game. So Chargers, even though you're the Chargers, 
this is an incredibly exciting opportunity for you. And when I say Chargers, look, I, I hope that only bad things happen to your franchise because I'm from San Diego. I used to root for you, and I'm now a six-year recovering Chargers fan. And uh, I've never been a happier, healthier person. One of the best decisions I ever made was to stop rooting for the Chargers when they abandoned my hometown of San Diego. And so when I say Chargers, I think the person I should point to more specifically is Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler and more specifically, Justin Herbert. Because those guys are fighting for incredibly small margins. They play in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. There is literally nothing they can do that will make them better than that team. Because that team has the best quarterback in the history of, or at least in my lifetime, in football. And the greatest offensive coach in the history of football. It's really hard to compete with that. We saw it this year. They got they replaced Tariq Hill, Daniel Sorensen, Taran Matthew all at once. And same team, 14-3, AFC West title, number one seed, going to go to the Super Bowl. Because Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid makes all of your other problems less like problems. When the Chargers lose a star player, it has a much more damning impact than if this team loses, Kansas City loses a star player like Tariq Hill. Because they can have Patrick Mahomes over a two-game stretch complete 36 passes to 18 different targets. And they'll still be the number one seed and they'll win MVP. He'll win MVP. So the Chargers are fighting in that division that Kansas City has won seven straight times and is going to win eight more times in the next nine years. So if you're the Chargers, you're fighting for incredibly thin margins. And what are those incredibly thin margins? Being the best of the non-elite teams, which is make it to the second round of the playoff. And congratulations to you, Chargers. It was looking not great at first. I knew you'd make the playoffs the whole way through because God knows I didn't believe in the Jets. I said the whole way, like, Jets are a cool story. The Chargers will beat them for that last playoff spot, but it's still a cool story. Jets, I thought the Dolphins were going to be better at the time. So the Chargers getting the five seed. I thought this was going to be Dolphins-Jaguars or Dolphins-Titans, and now it's the Chargers because of Tua's injuries and the Dolphins' offense falling off. But basically, Chargers, you get to be the team that gets the fourth playoff spot. And look, you're probably going to get that ass whooped by Kansas City. It's fine. You're playing with house money at that point. Getting to that game is the thing that's more exciting and more important for the Chargers. And since you've lost four in a row in absolute heartbreaking fashion to Kansas City, you just might get that moment to beat Kansas City in a playoff game that we'll remember for eons. We'll remember for eons. At least a decade. It'll make me hurt so bad, I still like my chances with Kansas City. But the Chargers, just get to that game and you've had a hugely successful season. If the Chargers win a playoff game this year, hugely successful season. If the Jaguars win a playoff game, hugely successful season. Now, do the Jaguars belong in the playoffs? Eh, probably not. I mean, if if we were doing this based on who the seven best teams were, the Jaguars would be either the seven or eight seed based on the whole season. But Jacksonville's here. They're here. It's fine. Maybe Jacksonville will get to play Kansas City. It'll be a hugely exciting moment for them. Chargers, just win this game. And you will have had a successful season, and you can't complain about making the second round of the playoffs because that is, I think that's the best possible outcome they could have had this season. Chargers making the second round of the playoffs 
is like going into the season with all the injuries that happened at the start of the year and Justin Herbert having a fractured rib, all of that stuff, like big victory or torn rib cartilage was uh, Justin Herbert's injury. So big, big opportunity for the Chargers. Big opportunity for you. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what will become of that team. And I'm only excited because I have no emotional investment in the game. If I had an emotional investment in that game, oh, I would be having an unhealthy weekend, an unhealthy weekend. But thankfully, I'm not invested in the Chargers anymore. It is a six years, a long road to recovery, and I am a healthier, happier person who will go celebrate my friend's birthday party and scoreboard watch this shitty football game instead of watching the Chargers and the Jaguars. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here too. the Take It Easy podcast. Wild card recaps are going to be available all throughout the weekend, sprinkled in little by little. Make sure to leave a five-star review, a download, and all of your support is, as always, incredibly, incredibly appreciated. So with that being said, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.